gets diminishing returns now. It's like you can only indict them so many times, you know. Um, right. I, th- I think that what took the longest is just to make sure who we had we as the top of the food chain was the top of the food chain and nobody else. And where was the top of the food chain at? Was that the folks in Florida or was that somewhere the, else? Yeah, the, yeah the, okay. the, the couple out of Florida. So how big was this network? By the time you got done, um, how many people are involved in this whole scheme? I think 15 to 20 were indicted. Okay. Yeah, it was it was a decent size. But again, like the the main orchestrators, probably five. There were probably five main orchestrators and everybody else was just like mopes that like helped along the way. Yeah, just um, foot soldiers, you know, just doing running doing the grunt work or some right. minor tasks, right? I mean, the, the one guy, the one kid, I mean, he's fucking, I'll never forget any of this crap. Guy's fucking screensaver was him naked. We were like, what the what? hell is wrong with you, dude? Yeah. Say that again. You, how did, what was that? His screensaver, like when we get in his apartment, was him naked. Oh, we were like, what God. in the hell is wrong with you, dude? <laughs> his screensaver, that's like something Morgan would do. Uh, no, no, it, I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> you can't prove it. <laughs> No, you couldn't make some of this stuff up. I remember when we when we go to arrest the uh, the Hasidic guy, Hasidic guy in New York, he wouldn't open his door. Like the guy refused to open his door, and we're banging and banging and banging. They call the cops on us. Cops come swooshing in, probably five or six cars. They're all Asian guys, and we're like, "The hell's going on here?" Like, <laughs> we're cops. We're about to get arrested by a bunch of Asian cops, and we got a Jewish guy fucking yelling at us, won't let us in the house. And then what happened? Oh, once we once we badge the cops, they're like, "Oh, okay." Because we, I mean, to their credit, I mean, we did we don't wear uniforms, right? So they were like, "We don't know who you are." They knew who we were, but they have a little bit of an argument there. So once the cops saw our stuff, they're like, "Okay, do what you got to do." Then they opened the door. They knew it was either going to get hit or we were going to open it. So yeah, and that was the thing I was going to say. You're not kicking in the door because it's not it's not a high risk entry, or at least it shouldn't be, right? I mean, you're just really there to arrest him, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, yes, because I, I still never feel comfortable doing that. Yeah. You know, you, you never know what's going to happen, right? You don't want to sit in front of anybody's door for too long. But no, not for too long, because then you become a target. You know. Right. But with white collar guys, you tend. To, there was actually one guy in Florida, Key West, Florida. I remember we we're going to arrest him, and the locals there were telling us, "Well, we call the people out of the house now from the street." And I'm like, "Are you crazy?" Like. This guy lived like I would call it fifty to seventy-five yards off the street, and like, yeah, we're to call him out of the house. I'm like, no, we're not, because if he has a gun, we're just gonna be sitting there getting pegged. And I know it's a white collar thing, but I'm not sitting at the street calling anybody out of the house. There's no way. <laughs> and, that, and that was in Key West. Yep. Oh. No, no, not Key West. I'm sorry, Palm Beach. Palm Beach. Really? Did I say Key West? Yeah. Yeah. No, it was Palm Beach. It was Palm Beach. Key West was, was another one of those undercover operations where if we had to go down there and see him at a bar, I th- we think this guy's going to a bar. No, I wish, I wish I got to Key West. I would love to see that place. Uh, I, always said, I, always wanted, I always wanted to get to Alaska. Alaska would be my bucket list. That's the one place I did not get to go while working for the government. Oh, yeah. You need to listen to our interview with Rick Rambo, episode 123, man. You'll love it. He lo- and Mark Cameron. <laughs> oh, my God. Mark Cameron, the author. He wrote, he wrote yeah. uh, several of the novels for the Tom Clancy series. You know, he's a former, actually, U.S. Marshal. Okay. So he was down in Texas, ended up back in Alaska. We've had a couple guys up in Alaska. And for some reason, it's like these guys love it. They'll go to the U.S., they'll go places, but they love Alaska. So I can tell you what, it'll, it, you go to Alaska, dude, it's a dry cold. <laughs> Listen, I have no desire to live there. I just want to see it. I'm not like shooting a squirrel out of the tree and eating it for dinner. I, that's not that's not how it's going to go. But it's not I just want to see it, dude. You're not going to survive on a squirrel. You got to take out a you got to take out a moose. You got to take out an elk. You know? Yeah, that, that that'll last you. Yeah, that gets you through the winter. But I'm not or one of those big. I just want to see it. I just want to see it. <laughs> So let's put a bow around this because we want to talk about the one coin case. But by the time you get done, how much money do you think uh, they had been able to illegally um, extract from these pump and dumps, these penny stocks? I think the number used in court was around $25 million. No, $25 million. Yeah. Damn. How much went, how much went to the, uh, the principal? I would think that's conservative, too. If- yeah. Well, because you're always going to be conservative in court because you want to be able to use a number you can prove. One hundred percent, and I, I I know for sure we didn't use all the stocks that that we identified. You know, you well, only, what's you your only... feeling? What if you if you were just taking a spitball guess at it? How much money do you think uh, these guys were able to generate? I would say more towards twenty five to fifty. Okay, jeez. And so we were talking earlier too. The guys in the port were kind of you know not overdoing it, but how how as and the word is ostentatious, Murph. That means you know 
how uh, excessive the that's uh, word there's another term called me. there's another term called bite me and you can probably figure out what that means against yeah well that's <laughs> yeah bite me so how bad were the guys down in Florida how 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 you know how large were they living you know if they're living large how large were they living down in Florida uh they 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 were living pretty large both two of the main the two main people had houses right on the water uh, you know probably eight ten bedroom homes like they're huge jeez yachts in the back. <laughs> no, they they were living they were living like kings. Well, so how were they how were they justifying their income then on their income tax, Mister IRS? Again, they're money laundering cases. We don't look at tax when we're doing money laundering. Oh, you don't? Cases. Okay. No. Uh, I said I said one thing I love. Like everybody thinks the IRS can just go pull tax returns and start looking at people's stuff. In criminal investigation, you you cannot just look at tax returns if it's if you're not working a tax case, you can't look at that stuff. Well, the reason I'm asking is, did they not file any charges then for uh, tax evasion or uh, falsifying tax returns or anything like that? Or was this just a straight uh, money la- Or was this just a straight criminal straight case? Money laundering. Straight okay. money laundering. Yep. Okay. Yeah, um, like I said, I have I have very little exposure to tax cases. So it took you, you like I said, a couple of years to do the case, a year to take it to trial. How long did it take to get, uh, how many defendants did you guys end up indicting? Like I said, I think it was, I think it was 12 to 15 people. And but like total, we're indicted. Two went to trial. Only two went to trial. So the, everybody else took a deal then, obviously. Yep. And the two that went to trial, tell us about their experience. Uh, as far as I, I felt bad for the wife because I truly believe that she was just listening to whatever the husband said to do. Um, at the end of the day, I don't think he even treated her that well. But they they were arrogant. Like the, the husband was definitely arrogant. Like he thought money would get him through it. We had the best attorney around. Um, Jerry Shargell was his attorney. Well, didn't you guys, weren't you able to seize money in bank accounts as, you know, illegal, you know, proceeds, you know, uh, ill-gotten yeah, gains? Yeah, no, we, I think we seized a house. I don't know how much money we ended up seizing. Um, obviously, they spend it as quick as they make it. So the assets are more. I know we got his house. I know we got a boat. But I don't think there was a ton in accounts. I mean, he spent a ton on, on the trying to produce the movie. Yeah. He spent See, a ton on that. And that's the ego. Um, you know, mm-hmm. people think, you know, they want to produce, oh, I'm, I'm a producer, I'm this. I mean, there's been a couple other cases, criminal cases, where the guys, you know, there's, I'm, I'm going to be a Hollywood producer, I'm going to produce a record. Uh-huh. And, you know, and that's true of people with money. I, you know, I think we see that with Hunter Biden. He thinks his money is going to get him out of everything. But I just saw a, 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 an advertisement, a teaser reel for a show that's coming out in this <laughs> This lady's supposed to be a billionaire, and in her phone conversation, she says, what good is it being a billionaire if I can't have someone killed? <laughs> they just think they're above the law because they have money. You know, a billion dollars doesn't get it what you used to, doesn't get you know. what it used to anymore, man. I don't know. <laughs> so, but, but what, so uh, on the trial there, they both went to trial. Um, obviously, you testified in that, right? Yep. How did it go for him? Didn't end well. Didn't so, end well. <laughs> I think uh, I think he got seven or eight, and she got five. Okay, pretty sure. Which again, white collar crime that doesn't. I mean, a lot of people bought that stuff, man. Like to me, it should have been more, but white collar yeah. criminals tend don't tend to go yeah to jail that long. Yeah, you're taking people's money on fraud, and and some people, you know, they see it. You know, I'd say a get rich scheme, but basically that's what it is for certain people. But these investors think that they might get on the ground level, and, and then they yep. lose everything they got. And and the greed gets to them, man. Greed. Yeah. Well, and they and it's not, they, they said that like they, the people getting involved in this, it's not the same class of people, right? That are getting involved with a Bernie Madoff or something like that. Those people mm-hmm. tend they not that it's any better. They can afford to lose the money, but people invest in penny stocks. They can't afford to lose the money. They no. can't. Um. And I think that's the part that's probably overlooked when these guys get sentenced. It's some of these people thinking it's the kind of their version of playing the lottery. Well, hey, this is my chance to score big. I'm gonna I'm gonna make a bunch of money and then I'm gonna retire. And the other thing too is it sounds too good to be true, and that's the usual caveat, right? If it sounds too good to be true, it usually is. There's the clue. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, I mean, that's it's a lot. You can see it a lot, you know, just prior to retiring with crypto. I mean, everybody's. Looking at some different crypto projects, trying to look get rich quick and and move on. Yeah, Samuel Bankman Freed. Why why is it all bad guys have like three names? Like you know John Wilkes Booth and. Uh... <laughs> That's why I go by Murph. Murph. 
You can't convict me of anything. I got one name. It's Murph. That's you know? it. That's it. Hey, Rich, before we move on to the uh, the OneCoin case, did you ever hear of a, a financial advisor in Fort Lauderdale named Wayne McLeod? No. Or he might have been Jacksonville. He's in Florida, but he was he was going around. He was uh, touting everything he could do with everybody's monies. He's he did it to a lot of uh, a lot of DEA folks, uh, a lot of AUSAs, supposedly some judges. So, but that didn't ring a bell with you? No, no. Yeah, because it turns out it was just a, a scheme to line his pockets. And and you know what the sad part is? He ended up committing suicide and left his wife and children destitute. Uh, Why should bad for the wife and children? Absolutely. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, they were living the life. They were living on the intercoastal, and they had the yachts and the planes and all that stuff. You know. Well, well, that that penny stock case. We, so I I passed off one guy to a guy from IRS. And it's funny when you pass off a case, everybody's like, "Yeah, okay, it's good to be a good case, right?" Yeah. And I, I told them before I did that. I had to go. I don't pass off shit, man. This is a good case. Trust, trust me. I remember going to arrest that guy. I mean, this guy was sponsoring F1 races, like like wow. F1 events, not the whole race, but yeah. buying spots on a car, house right on the water, all glass back. We knock this guy's door, and his wife comes out. Now, usually when the SWAT team's there, right, they'll knock the door and they'll be like, "Okay, see you guys later. We want to eat." These guys were like, we're not leaving. This woman was so beautiful. No. <laughs> I'd never seen a SWAT team freezing their tracks. But <laughs> you know what it sounds like? Sounds like the Magluta brothers, Murph, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Down you in, know, uh, they, they, they and, way uh, beyond their means and they make it yep. very visible, you know, buying stuff, doing stuff. Flashing it. Yep. Flashing yeah. It. If you you got to stay below the radar, man. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Well, it's that's very hard for these people to do. <laughs> That's a, that's like you know you tell people hey do you keep a secret you just don't tell anybody yeah <laughs> it's okay you can tell Murph in, in a day he forgets it so um, <laughs> that's pretty it's, true. every joke Brown. is still with Murph that's what I'm John <laughs> Sam what the hell is your name anyway <laughs> Rich his name is Rich uh, so l- let's talk, talk about, about one coin let's start setting the context for this and so give us a little bit of background because. Um, we've heard, everybody's heard a lot about crypto. They've heard about Bitcoin. I mean, the, the Samuel Bankman freed all of these different things that are going on, but give us some context. So start talking about what started coming up on your radar. And first of all, what is one coin? Well, one coin at the end of the day, turns out to be the biggest international Ponzi scheme ever. Um, in 2015, I was still at DEA. Crypto had just become like the buzzword Bitcoin, actually not even crypto, Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Um, that was about the time of the whole Silk Road thing. Mm-hmm. And they were like, we need somebody to do crypto. I always had a reputation for finding like my own cases. I never like needed the U.S. Attorney's Office or anything like that. I would sit in my DEA group and develop cases that way, or I would go through like different databases that we have to find leads. So like, you're a crypto guy. Okay, I'm the crypto guy. What did you know Le- about crypto at that point? Absolutely nothing. See, that makes you the expert because you raised your hand. You go, I'll do it. So now you're the crypto expert. I mean, I knew different training companies like uh, Chain Analysis was out there at the time. We knew to get them involved. We had them give us some training. Um, Other than Silk Road, I don't think anybody knew much at all. Uh, And you knew Bitcoin was going through the roof at the time. Like Bitcoin was increasing heavily at the time. That's where you heard the story about if if you were that pizza guy that sold the the pizza for Bitcoin and he's now a millionaire. So that was basically only anybody knew. Nobody knew about blockchain, how to trace the blockchain or anything like that. I was uh, literally that maybe first or second weekend that I was assigned to that position. I had a, a covert phone. I'm si- I, I subscribe to every bullshit site that mentioned cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. And I got a junk email offering me to buy this one coin thing. You know, did some open source stuff. I'm like, this just doesn't fucking sound right. I go in the morning, the office Monday morning, and I just start running it through databases. And I, I'm finding victims all over the US. They don't know they're victims yet. The banks are filing reports only because it's cryptocurrency. And nobody knows what this stuff is. Hey, so... And, but one coin too, it's got to be registered. It's got to be operated somewhere. So where did you find it? Where was this thing operated out of? Where was it registered? So at the time, I'm thinking it's it's a U.S. based thing. I have no clue. Okay. I just know it. It was coming out of a U.S. based IP address. That's because that's about all I could say on that one because there's stuff still there. But it was coming out of a U.S. based IP address. I had no reason to believe it was overseas at this point. Okay. I. The guy that I worked the penny stock case with, the AUSA, I go to his office. 
he gets transferred. He's like, I'll introduce you to somebody. You can tell him what you got. I go to the guy. I'm like, here's what I got. I got this thing called OneCoin. There's reports filed all over the place that people are investing in this stuff. Can you cut me some legal service so I can see what the hell's going on? And they literally look at me like I had four heads. And they, at the end of the conversation, they were just like, okay, whatever you want, if you get anything out of it. And they just gave me some subpoenas and I just started following the money from there. Did that for about six, seven, eight months. Go back to the attorney's office. And at that point, I'm, I, I'm myself over almost at a billion bucks in money movements. Wow. How much? A billion. A billion oh, wow. with a B. That's not evil, right? We're going to hold the world <laughs> ransom for $1 billion. So the AUSA that's assigned to the case is like, hey, you know, there's another guy here, another investigator. So in New York, U.S. Attorney's Office has their own investigators. Mm-hmm. They had a kid looking at a guy that was related to my guy. And they were like, I think you guys might have a related case. At the end of the day, it turns out we had the same exact case. And this kid was definitely one of the smartest guys I've ever worked with. And he was just like, let me do all the financial stuff. I'll take it from here. I'll get you all the foreign accounts. I'll get you all the MLAT served and everything. I'm like, oh, great. I'll stay on the case. So he went off and started getting all the foreign bank account stuff. There was stuff in Dubai. There was stuff in the Cayman Islands. It was, it was everywhere. So while he did that, I spent my time trying to learn what the hell OneCoin was. So we set up an operation where we went and bought OneCoin. And real quick, these- we always define terms. So you use the word MLAT. Murph and I know what that means, but tell everybody what an MLAT is and why that's so important when you're doing international investigations. An MLAT is like a mutual agreement with a foreign country to get records. They never, I mean, don't get me wrong. By the time you get the records, it's too late anyway. Like it takes forever. But it's just basically a request to a foreign entity to get records that they have related to a, a particular crime. Yeah, it's like a mutual legal assistance treaty. So it's, right. it's something where they're supposed to cooperate and collaborate with you. But like you say, by the time the frickin' bureaucracy and red tape gets involved, it's almost uh, ancient history. Yep. So, but again, to have somebody that's going to take all that burden off your back is yep. a lifesaver. So anyway, we I sat, did an undercover where we bought this one coin thing. And it was like a comedy skit. You like, the sad thing in the U.S. part was all church-going people buying it. But anyway, I get involved. I call on Facebook. I find a guy. I reach out to him. I'm like, hey, this sounds pretty interesting. How do I get involved? He's like, oh, hey, come on this phone call tonight. Uh, you know, it'll be a whole explanation of what goes on. So I listen to some guy give his bullshit about you buy this coin. There's different levels you buy. $1,000, uh, 500000 1500 5000 and then like the 10000 at that time was the big one. And depending on how big a package you bought, you got these one coins as a reward. So the higher the package, the more rewards you get. And then there was like some stupid training package attached to it. This is starting to sound like Amway. Like if you get three uh, people yeah, and they it's, get it's three, kind of, it, it's, it's, it's definitely a yep. multi-level marketing scheme. It's a yep. um, Yeah. Uh, so next day I call the guy. I'm like, yep, I'm in. I want to buy. And he's like, all right, uh, let me get you some bank information and then I'll, I'll call you back. So he calls back. I said, I'll buy $5,000. Buy $5,000. Sorry, here's a great thing, man. You get to spin the wheel of fortune. And I'm like, well, what is that? So it's, it's, it's some wheel that has two times, three times, four times, five times your money on it. I'm like, so what do I do? He's like, once you get your account set up, there's going to be a button there to push. Just push the button. It'll spin the wheel. I push the button, spin the wheel. It says five times. I'm like, hey, bro. Does, does, does that mean I won five times my money? He's like, bro, you're fucking rich, man. You got five times the coins, not your money. So he's like telling me I have like 100,000 of these one coins, which are worth X amount of dollars at the time. And I'm like, this just makes no freaking sense. Well, so if you <laughs> wanted to cash those coins in right then, I mean, that's the whole purpose of a, a, a they, well, that's the whole thing behind a Ponzi scheme, right? There's, there's not enough money to pay right. off everybody. And they, they would not let you pay out. They would, well, no, no, we recommend you hold it. You hold it. You got to hold it for a little while. You got to let it go. Because if you start selling now, then the rest of the people are going to bail and it's going to lose value. But what could you use? So, so you've got a hundred thousand one coins. What can you use a one coin for? Nothing. It was it was absolute fake money. Like they they said they were going to set up a shop where you can go online and use your one coins to buy stuff. That never came to fruition, Hmm. and the price was not tied to anything. Like literally, this woman who set this up, Ruja, had events where she would just increase the price. 
So like, there was a there was a big event in London. You could look it up online. She literally announces that the price is going to double at this event. Your one coins are now worth double, two times your coins. <laughs> Everybody's cheering. It's like it's unreal. It's unreal. Did did everybody walk in? You know, I, I, I'm sorry to say this about the victims, but did they have a big L tattoo in front of their heads for losers? Uh, again, it goes back to that get rich quick thing, right? Yeah. Uh, and like I said, the, the, like the U.S. people, they're they they were all part of the church. Like they're listening to people that they see every Sunday. Oh. Um. So they're not thinking they're going to get screwed over. Mm. Well, so we. We're going to talk about Ruja here in a little bit, too, because she's quite infamous now. If you want to know how big this case is, we'll talk about that in a minute. Oh, yeah. But um, but it, real quickly, though, interesting, uh, kind of dive behind the curtains. I know you don't give away the secret sauce, but when you set up to do UC stuff like you're going to buy from them and you're on Facebook and you're making calls, I mean, you kind of have to set it up so that you're backstop in a certain way because you don't want people discovering, oh, I just traced your IP address. It goes back to the IRS in New Jersey, you know? <laughs> So, I mean, with all I said, giving away the secret sauce, but how much work does it take to set up so that you can run undercover like that, especially since you're going to be online and look, everybody's, uh, you know, every site has a return address. It's an IP address. So how do you, how long does it take for you to set up so that you can confidently operate and not be discovered as being a fed? Uh, it's not that hard at all. I mean, uh, it's not a secret sauce. Everybody knows you can use a VPN to, to mask your location. Mm -hmm. Um, we spent a lot of money on getting the right equipment, the right computers. You know, I, I would, the IRS, I would say, is unusually leading the charge for a change as, as when it comes to cryptocurrencies and digital assets. Mm -hmm. um, they never shied away from spending money on getting you the right equipment, the right tools, the right training. So we had everything set up that we needed. And if we needed to mask identities, to get identities, it, we were set up to go. Well, because you know, in traditional banking, especially after 9-11, you got to do the KYC, know your customer. There's certain things that you have to do to be able to engage in transactions. Was there anything like that with OneCoin, or were they just like, ah, we'll take your money. We don't care who you are. 100%. They just took your money. Okay. It didn't matter who you were. Uh, I know there, there was a point where they knew U.S. authorities were sniffing around. And that's, that's that was exactly my point. At some point, they, they have to know that somebody's onto them at, at a certain point. Right. And then they set up alternate payment methods. Uh, uh, it's kind of like a check here, like a money service provider. Mm -hmm. So you would, you would pay your payment to a guy who set up a fake company. Okay. And then he was taking a fee to process the payments. So I would mail my payment to baloney corporation instead of one coin. There, there was a period of time where people were actually sending it to one coin named accounts. Then she had people all over the place opening accounts for her payment services, and then they would get a fee for well, processing the money. Why did she think that was going to insulate her from liability? I no, I think uh, no. She was smart enough. She knew at at some point she cut it off. She was like, no, no, I'm not messing with the U.S. Um, but overseas, she had accounts everywhere. I mean, she accounts everywhere, different names. Her boyfriend bought a bank. Um, well, there you go. If, if yeah. you want to make something happen, just go buy a bank and then run everything through your own bank. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the amount of money, I mean, she had insiders, insiders in the government, insiders in the bank. I mean, the woman was, the woman was good. Uh, obviously, she's good because she's still not been found. So I'm, I'm reading here uh, a DOJ press release. <laughs> in 2013, Bitcoin, this says Bitcoins, but I, I'm thinking this is referring to one coins, increased their value 75 times in one year in 2013. No, that, that's probably Bitcoin. That's Bitcoin? It shot through the roof. Yeah, it went from like a, worth a couple hundred dollars up to thousands. Like six, I think at that time it was like six or eight thousand dollars. Holy cow. And you know who had bought $250 worth of Bitcoin and sold it? You <laughs> truly? Me. Yeah. Did you lose money? No, I, I mean, I got my money back. It was one of the things like, I just didn't want to mess with it. Now that 250 would have been worth uh, just an excessive amount. But I, I, I did that. I bought, I did. He froze I, on I, your end? What's that? Oh, there you go. 
Yeah, it didn't freeze on our end. That was just you just having a, just, you know, you froze up. I mean, I think. That was just you. It was just a center picture. <laughs> no, it wasn't me. It was you. Don't What's blame this shit on me this time. I know. It's you. It's, you. it's the freaking IRS <laughs> VPN that you're coming in over, pal. They heard you selling that Bitcoin. They were like, where to go? Where to go? <laughs> I'm so close to the NSA and all these other guys. I'm sure all of my conversations are being monitored. So, uh <laughs> So, but, right. but so yeah, because no, I was uh, going to say I had two hundred and fifty dollars, and I just sold it to get rid of it. But now, as you know, the guy who does my taxes, you have to disclose if you have any uh, holdings in crypto assets, you know, any yep. uh, crypto coin. Um, and so, you know, there's there's Ethereum. I had some Ethereum, and I had crypto at one time. But it's like, I you know, here's the thing. We're, let's get into the story. But I, you know, there are some people I see out now that are going, "Hey, I'm going to teach you how to do crypto investing," and they say. One guy on Facebook that I happen to know used to be a neighbor. I don't want to use names, but here's what I made, you know, already this year. I've made 670,000. Then they do these things of, hey, these people made 150,000 and they've just retired all their debt. When you see stuff like that, does it send red flags up for you too? 100. Well, I mean, now I'm working for a crypto tracing company. Um, so not as much, but when I was on the job, I, I literally, I up until the last day, which was, you know, a week ago, I subscribed to every person on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram that was promoting anything stupid like that. And they're all over the place. They're all over the place. I don't think they're as successful now as they were then, which is the main driver why the OneCoin thing was so successful. Like you said, you had $250 and it shot up to $6,000. She was promoting this thing during that time saying she was going to be the next Bitcoin. Yeah. Like she, or she was the Bitcoin killer. So I think that's why she was able to have so much success. I'll tell you, you what, know, though, if, if you tried it today, I, I, people would be wise to it. At least most people would be wise yeah. to it. There'd still be somebody. Yeah. Well, I'm, again, like P.T. Barnum said, there's a sucker born every minute, man. There's, there's somebody out there who doesn't who's not doesn't take the time to do their due diligence, and then they start investing in this stuff. I'm just very, I'm very leery anytime I see somebody go, here's how much money I made, and here's how much you can make. Because number one, I just said, I don't believe that shit. What I want to see is the 1099. You show me. You know the the authenticated tax returns with the 1099. Then I might believe you, but don't don't give me something that could have been photoshopped or generated and put it on the internet and tell me, hey, this is legit. If anybody ever promises you're going to make a guaranteed rate of return, you should probably turn around, the way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, run. You yeah, know, well, here's one thing I guarantee. No, yeah. So, um, so talk about that. So now keep keep going from that. So this thing starts to get bigger and bigger. So how it starts off with you. Uh, but at what point do you start going, man, this is, uh, this is big. I mean, I, you got to get more people involved. Oh, I, I, I knew, I knew it was big when I met with the invest the agent from the U S attorney's office and we combined our information. We, we knew at that point it was like a Holy shit moment. And it's funny cause I remember early on in my DEA career, I'm working a case with a guy and it was, a, it was a complex drug money laundering case. It was actually the first case and probably the only case in New Jersey where we ever prosecuted somebody for narcotics money laundering with never doing a drug purchase. <laughs> and I remember him saying, this is going to be your career case. You get like one of these a career. And he, for the most part, he's probably right, right? You don't get many, like that case involved, like some big time drug dealers, a lot of casino activity. Like we were going down to Atlantic City and just recreating gambling activity. So it was pretty cool. And I, I probably, and that also spun off into a mortgage fraud case. Um, so it was a big case. And I probably thought at that time it was, yeah, this is pretty cool. When I hit this one coin thing, I, and like I said, when that guy and I married our information, we were like, holy shit. Um, and it just kept going. Uh, so at that point we had the undercover you, done. You said you we started this in 2015, like late 2015. Okay. Mid 2015, somewhere around there. We we're so it is one of the few examples where you see the government catching on quickly. Cause she only started promoting like the back half of 2014. It was like when they started getting this thing in motion. And I would say mid 2015 is when I started seeing it. Um, and, and again, like Treasury's credit, they saw the cryptocurrency area early on becoming a ripe for fraud and and they were they were right on top of it. So after we married our information, uh, we were digging and digging, getting bank records, doing the undercover, trying to figure out what the hell the blockchain is at that time. Because now you have to prove, like she's saying, it's got its own blockchain and everything. We're like, what the hell is the blockchain? We're trying to figure that whole part out. Nobody knew what that meant. 
Um, and that was a significant part of his trying to prove that it was not on the real blockchain. And, but nobody understood what it was. So trying to explain it to the attorneys and everything, they're like, what, what the fuck's the blockchain? See, yeah. and you, you hit a very big point right there. It's one thing when you start getting new kind of novel cases and novel crimes like Bitcoin or something else. It's not enough just for you guys to know about it. you got to spend time educating um, the judges or the people. Yep. You can't get a warrant. I, I remember I was the first guy in Kansas to get a warrant to serve to search an internet service provider for an IP address. Mm-hmm. I had to spend an hour educating the judge on mm-hmm. what it is, what it meant, you know, why this was. Whereas now you get judges, now it's commonplace, right? But to your point, I mean, how much education did you have to do of the judges and even some of the other attorneys to get them to understand what this is and why we need this piece of paper? I, I would say that probably took the longest part of this case. Well, I mean, it was complicated to begin with, but overcoming that hurdle of trying to explain what the blockchain was, trying to find someone who's qualified to say, yeah, this isn't on the blockchain, because none of us were. We, everything was new at that point. Um, so that took a lot of time finding somebody. Who, who, uh, who was the person or firm or who, who did I you find that was the expert? The, eventually, we found some guy overseas who was, who was saying that it wasn't on the blockchain and explained it all. Um, and I don't know that it ever definitively came down to this is what the blockchain looks like and you can't find these transactions. You know, like you go, you, today I know, like you can go to the Bitcoin, block, Bitcoin blockchain, you'll find Bitcoin transactions. You go to Etherscan, you'll find Ethereum-based transactions. There's definitely no OneCoin blockchain where you can go search transactions. Um, it's funny you mentioned that because you were mentioning chain analysis. And I know I do a briefing on the Cold War with Russia. And one of the things people don't understand, you can trace this stuff. 74% of all ransomware payments that are made with Bitcoin go back to one country. Do you know which country that is? Russia. Russia, Russia. or North Korea. Who wanted to? So Russia. 74% of all ransomware payments paid through Bitcoin go back to Russia. There's your fact for the day. You're welcome. <laughs> Appreciate that. <laughs> but but so, but continue on, comrade, in our discussion. So but um so you you start getting these explained. What kind of things are you needing to get that you need to explain the judges? Search warrants. Uh, you know what? Are, are you running any title? Th- are you able to run any title threes at this point? I don't. No, we didn't run any title threes. Everything was financial records, and then, oddly enough, out of nowhere, um, so we all have our own internal case management systems. And an agent from Miami calls me and says, hey, I got somebody that wants to talk to you about this guy you're looking at. And I'm like, well, who the hell is he? And long story short, at the end of the day, this was a guy that knew the main target in the US that I was looking at. Not the not Ruja, but the main target in the US that we were interested in. And we we're like, holy shit. And he's like, yeah, he's he's willing to do whatever he has to. And at that point, the IRS moves very slow when it comes to consensual monitoring and stuff like that. So we had to get the FBI involved. So we asked AUSA, like, do you, you know an FBI guy that you like? So yeah, I got a great guy. He'll help you guys out. And sure enough, we get introduced to this guy. And he's like, yeah, I'll get somebody down there to go down there and, and get the kid set up. That kid went in, hit the home run, and we, it, was, it was on from there. Then it was just a constant go, 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 go. Now, who, was, um, who was the guy you were looking at? Can you say? Yeah, he's uh, Armenta, Gilbert Armenta. He's he's been sentenced and everything. So, what, is he, what was his uh, sentence? He, so he was her boyfriend. Uh, t- five, seven years. Damn, that's just Again, not, not enough. Not 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 not, not, not nearly yeah. enough. I mean, he had. Uh, I guess you could sympathize with him a little bit. He was, you know, he was sitting in MDC during that whole COVID thing, which mm-hmm. MDC is not nice to begin with. Mm-hmm. During COVID and the whole Epstein thing, it wasn't even nicer. So. I, I still think he should have probably got more, but I'm not, yeah. I'm not that's beyond our pay scale, right? Uh, yeah. yeah, we do our job and the court screw everything up. I mean, well, I shouldn't say that, but <laughs> yeah, that, and that, guy lived like, that guy lived like a king. Um, he was her boyfriend, so. Mm-mm. So now, so good. I, I was just going to ask about uh, Rouge's partner, uh, Carl Greenwood. What, yeah, so he, was he a boyfriend? I'm sure you saw, he, he, he recently. So he was he was the public face, right? He was the he was the salesman. He was the entertainer. He was the one that went out in the public and convinced people. If somebody needed like help coercing somebody, they call him. 
what he, coercing him as far as he's a slick talker or he was strong arm. Yeah, yeah. He, he's listen. The, the guy is a great talker. Uh, that's why he's in the MLM world, right? I mean, that's that's what it takes is coercing people. Yeah. Uh, when we got had we got him over in Thailand, that was an interesting experience, to say the least. That was that was a lot of fun. Thailand's well, an interesting what, place. Yeah, we had uh, we've got some other cases that have intersected with Thailand. Um, wasn't that where Victor Boot was arrested? Yep. 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 Yeah. Absolutely. Was uh, it's uh, hmm. we we ended up and we ended up out. So we spent some time in Bangkok, which that in and of itself is an interesting experience. But we ended up going out to Koh Samui, Thailand, and I, you know, I have not well traveled internationally. That place was so beautiful. If I was there another week, I probably would have never came home. It, it was so oh, nice. Oh, really? Oh yeah, right on the water, blue water, cheap. Just it was it was nice. Was and you know th- was Greenwood right, I'm sorry. surprised when you guys showed up? Oh yeah, oh yeah. He, he <laughs> yeah, was not expecting. He had a gorgeous, got a gorgeous house overseeing the water, all glass back. And it's funny because the Thai police at that time, like, they don't have their own cars. I think they bought their own guns. And they're bringing us out there. We we can't do much, right? We just got to sit there and watch them go. And th- again, this is in 2016, 17. We get to the front of the house and they send up a drone to fly around the house and go look in the back door. I'm like, Jesus Christ, these guys are more high tech than we are. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at that point, I mean, now that's commonplace, but then they had that thing up and they were like, okay, it's safe to go. Let's go. So it was, it was interesting. And then grab him. It's funny you're bringing him to uh, get locked up and tell his wife to get him some clothes. She comes out with all white clothes and the Thai police just shaking their head like it's going to be brown by tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs> Why does everybody want to wear white suits? It's like a James <laughs> Bond movie, you know, Goldfinger, you know, oh, you know, you expect me to talk Goldfinger? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. But the house was was off the charts. Nice. De- definitely the nicest place I've ever seen. Um, wow. so what was the, was he, was the reason you went to Thailand is cause you didn't expect that guy to be able to, um, get him in a country or any other country or even back to the U S to where you could just, you know, uh, put the habeas gravis on him or what? 100%. Everybody. So the jig was up at this point. So at some point, this is definitely obviously stuff you can't talk about here, but we're, we're talking or we're here in Ruja and we, we know like she has people in high places to the point where like she was getting information about international coordination meetings that we were having. She was getting very specific. Information. We were like, Holy shit. Wow. She so was you hiring, got a snitch inside the group somewhere. She was hiring spies to look at other people. And we, we were like, this, this woman's better than most drug trackers that you see. Um, mm-hmm. But she, at some point got wind that something was going on. That's when she disappears. Like she knew the jig was up on a conversation and she just literally dropped the phone. I mean, this woman talked on encrypted phones. She did not talk in public phones. And when she got wind, not even knew, she just got a sniff gone, hung up the phone and just left. That's the day she left to never be seen again. So he knew as well that something was up and he wasn't good. So he wasn't going to move from where he was. He was not going to come to the U S actually none of them were going to the U S anyway. They, I mean, early they on. were smart enough to know that if there's any sniffing around at all, you land in the U.S., it's game over. Right, right. And but, she's, but Bul- why, she's Bulgarian, right? Yep. So why did, why did this guy pick Thailand? Was it simply because it was beautiful and a place to go, or was there some other reason that uh, they're operating out of places like that? That's a good question. I don't think I've ever even asked him why he picked Thailand. I mean, again, going back, if I were stealing money from everybody and their mother and I wanted to like maintain a low profile. I, I would probably go there too. Like nobody's you're not raising red flags over there, right? I mean everybody's pretty modest. And there's you know a couple people with money that live in nice houses and then everybody else lives modestly. So I think he felt safe living there in that environment. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty cool. I mean it was pretty cool because like they had some Americanized areas, like I can go, I can go to Starbucks over there. I can get McDonald's. It didn't taste the same, but I can go get McDonald's and stuff over there. So it's made with it yak was, instead of cows. You know, it, it was. Uh, it didn't taste the same. I can tell you that. Yeah. Hey, well, um, but let me ask you this though. Um, 
I don't know if you were able to get into this with their, or just I'm thinking just from an immigration standpoint. So like I know, I got a buddy of mine from Canada, retired from the OPP. Mac, if you're listening out there, hey, he retired from OPP. So him and his wife, they they bought a place down in um, St. Petersburg Beach. Um, so they go down six months down there. But you know, because of immigration, getting a visa stuff, they can only they can only be down there six months. Then they have to go back. How is it that some of these folks are able to operate? Was it just Thailand allowed you to stay there um, without having to? you know, leave and come back or go somewhere else for residency? Because I'm always interested why, you know, why you pick certain places. A lot of it is extradition. Some of it is, hey, I can get a visa and I can be here for 10 years and I don't have to leave. Yeah, I'm I'm not familiar with the immigration rules over there, but although I do think he was a citizen of both. I mean, I know he's from okay. Sweden, but I think he was a citizen of both. Yeah, it's great if you can get dual citizenship then. Because they, I mean... Uh, unfortunately, the Asian population was a, a huge victim of the whole thing. I mean, at the end of the day, it, was, it turns out to be like a four and a half billion dollar scheme. Um, I would say Asia was a good part of that. Bridge Center. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm just pulling up a little synopsis of the case here. You know, in February 2015, Bulgaria issues a warning. In February in 2016, the British newspaper Daily writes about it. Um, and uh, they're ob- they're on the observation list of a lot of authorities, including Bulgaria, Finland, Sweden, Norway, Latvia. Um, many of these countries report on it. Then uh, Norway reports on it, and then Italia, Italy, the Italian antitrust reports on it, and then the Hungarian Central Bank reports on it. <laughs> and, I mean, and then it goes. Then the Indian police they arrest eight people, eighteen people in Navi, Mumbai, for organizing a one coin recruitment event. I mean, we're recruiting people to buy. One coin. And then, oh my God, I mean, it just goes on and on. Um, uh, you've got that. You've got Germany. You've got Thailand. You've got Belize. Um, I mean, Vietnam. In fact, I saw one of the things, right? They, they, they said, no, we're licensed by Vietnam only to come to find out they forged the Vietnamese certificate. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but, but you, you, I mean, what I don't want to say, you have to hand it to them, uh, but it's like they, you, anybody who can get four and a half billion dollars, you wonder why didn't you just create a real company and make money? I, again, I, 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 I don't think this works if Bitcoin wasn't going so high at the time and, and yeah. the craze around it and no, and the unfamiliarity, right? Nobody knew about it. So there's somewhat, it's somewhat believable, right? You could see that Bitcoin was going up. So why not believe this? Well, it was interesting. So, it was, uh, it was interesting. Well, for Ruja Ignatova from Bulgaria, she has now got the distinction of being on the FBI top 10 list. Yes. So I have to ask you, though, you know, they're saying something about maybe she went through plastic surgery and stuff. Um, do you think she's still alive? That's the million dollar question. Um, or at least the $500,000 one. I, I think I think that's a double edged sword, right? When you have that much money and it's liquid, you could hide forever, right? We all know that. Um, but also when you have that much money, especially some of the places where she goes to, and there's a good chance somebody's going to cut you out, right? Cause they know what you have. You'd think so, so. I think if somebody got access to, or had somebody who had access to her wealth, I, I can't imagine them letting her live, but she has enough money to look like a whole different person right now. And we would never know. You know, in reading the press release from DOJ, there were at least 3.5 million victims because of this oh, yeah. scheme. So there, she's got a lot of enemies around the world. Yeah, but uh, unfortunately, again, that goes back to the penny stock stuff, right? Mm-hmm. These are people that, it's that, they're not like Bernie Madoff victims, right? And I think even the judge said this at trial uh, or at sentencing for Greenwood. Like, you got it from people who can't afford to lose it, whereas people involved in bigger schemes like Madoff and just like, not that it makes it any better, but those people lose $100,000 and it's like, it sucks, but it doesn't end things for them. These people, a lot of them are third world country, from third world countries, you know, they lose a couple thousand dollars. That's that's a game changer. That's a year's income or two years income right, in some right. of these places, yeah. Right. And then even some of the, you know, the victims in the U.S. who are church people, these weren't wealthy people by no means. So they're not going to be bankrupt, but it definitely hurts. So well, it's what just was like uh, scamming the elderly and other stuff, man. These are what so. was what was Greenwood's sentence? Twenty years. Well, that's more. So that that was a good one. And I saw um, he was ordered to pay three hundred million dollars. 
Yeah, it's going to be kind of hard to do on the NDC salary, but or the federal prison salary, but. <laughs> well, it depends on you know, and you know, obviously they're going to go after and try and seize assets and stuff. But see, that's another thing that too. Talk about that for a second, um, you know, as we wind this down. But these assets are spread out all over the place, right? So, how do you go about seizing these assets? Who gets to seize them? Who gets to keep them? Because, like the house in Thailand, that's that's got to stay with the Thai folks. Yeah, one hundred percent. We don't we don't see that they. You know, they took care of that. Whatever was seized in the UK, I'm sure they take care of that. We did get seizures here on the US-based people. Um, so like her boyfriend, he had a significant amount of assets. And we, we, and we actually got a significant amount of those. Well, wasn't um, she involved with her brother too, Constantine? Yeah. Yep. And what, what, what was his, uh, what's happened with him? I think he's still waiting for, uh, I think he's still waiting to be sentenced. Okay. So I'm not going to talk much about that one, but I'm pretty sure he hasn't been sentenced yet. Wow. But, 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 you know, to make the top 10 though, I mean, it's like normally the rewards for the top 10 are, you know, 20,000, $25,000. She has a $250,000 reward, mm-hmm. yeah. which, Hey, you know, Hey, but I'll tell you what, if you want to invest that, I've got something for you, Rich. Oh, that's going to double <laughs> your gonna money. A, it's going to be a cryptocurrency. <laughs> I got a bridge down here in Florida. Yeah, I got some swampland. I got a gator out back. I'll make boots for you. Um, well, well, look, how long did this, from beginning to end, from the time that you started uh, becoming the crypto expert and looking at OneCoin, um, how long did you work on this case? I would say, all right, so 15. It, by government standards, pretty quickly. Uh, I would say by 2017 is when we had our first indictments. Mm-hmm. You know, from a, for a case that, started from scratch like we didn't it didn't somebody didn't come into u.s attorney's office and say here here's what i have and this is what it is we i mean it was f- you started started from scratch yeah. and what about the coordination with all the other countries so as you're doing this how many how many different uh law enforcement and investigative entities are you uh collaborating with and coordinating with around the world uh it, it, that is never easy Murph, i'm sure you know that um mm-hmm. it was a lot it was it was bulgarians dutch germans British, Thai, and I'm I'm probably missing one or two there. I That's mean, okay. Cayman Islands. How did they? How, how did they? How did the other countries respond? I mean, were they aware of it, and you just now merged your cases, or were some of this new information to them? I think, I think everybody, like you said, you saw all the notices. Everybody was always aware of it. I don't think anybody ever had as much as we did. And there's always in law enforcement, right, that little competition. You know people are holding stuff from you, uh, and they don't want to give you everything they have, which is unfortunate because I thought from our side, we were always pretty open with the overseas authorities. Yeah. Um, and there were, there were times where we thought we, we would have the opportunity to get our hands on certain people, but it was like you're hedging your bet. Like if, if we do it, are they going to let them go or are they going to hold them? And then yeah. depending on what country that is, you know, you're like, uh, what do we do? What's the right answer? Who is the who is the country you had the most fun working with? Unfortunately, at the end, uh, I'd have to go with the Thai because that's the only place I got to go to because I left. So after all the main people were indicted and you know in the legal system, I took a uh, a full time undercover gig where I just went off the radar for a while. So I never got like to get, they all went to the UK. Um, I think they went over to Germany. I, I never got to take those trips. So why'd they pull you off of that to do a UC gig? It, that was voluntary. Like that was, oh. it was an assignment that came up that I was interested in. Did it involve buying anything off the back of a truck at a port in New Jersey or, you know, no, it was all crypto. It's all cryptocurrency. All crypto. Wow. Yep. So what is I don't know if you can talk about this, but what are you doing now? You're retired from the IRS, right? I retired from the IRS. Uh, it'll be two weeks now. And I work for a company called Merkle Science, which is, they're like a chain analysis. They're a competitor in the crypto forensics area. Um, they have a new tool, similar to chain analysis with some you know more unique features. So trying to help them get off the ground. And go Very on. cool. So it used to be, the, the, used to be, the belief was, and I remember... Um, uh, I remember something. I believe it was uh, Purdue um, did with the FBI. I think it was 
uh, I can't move some university, but in, in other words, about breaking some of this ana- anonymity of the blockchain. People thought, hey, or not the blockchain, but uh, uh, Tor, the onion routing network, you know, and uh, the dark web. And which is kind of combined when you talk about crypto and stuff. That's one of the reasons yep. that enabled Silk Road. The only reason Silk Road was able to be successful was because of the introduction of Bitcoin. Had you not had a cryptocurrency to wouldn't move that work. stuff around, yeah, it wouldn't work. Uh, just logistics. You want me to write a check with my real name and send it to you? I don't think I'm going to do that. Yeah. So, but th- um, crypto is an interesting space. I could, like it's it's funny because you know. Working traditional money laundering, right? If you work a black market peso case or a, you know, even a traditional money laundering case, you could be considered the expert after a couple of cases, right? The fact pattern is pretty much going to stay the same, just different players and different products. This crypto stuff, it changes so quickly. Like if you're working the, like the one coin case for a year, by the time we're done with that, Bitcoin's pretty much out of flavor and everybody's moved over to Ethereum or Ethereum based tokens. And you're like, Okay, now I got to learn all this. And now they're using bridges and cross-chain swaps. And you're like, okay, now I got to learn this. It changes so quickly. You you really can't be an expert. People say they're experts. I would argue tooth and nail that you, you might have been an expert, but now you got to learn this. Because mm-hmm. it, it just changes and changes. Have you ever thought about writing a book about all this? Oh, yeah, yeah. They're like they, One coin, definitely. Uh, I, I, knew, I, I knew that was a unique experience. And, and there's still stuff like, obviously, we can't. There's what two more people that go through the legal process when you can just o- openly talk about it. There's so much, I mean, there's just so much interesting stuff in that case. Uh, again, a four and a half billion dollar fraud has got to be interesting, Jeez. but just like the cast of characters, it could be like a, a dramedy because it's, it's serious, but some of the stuff that happened is just so unreal. You're just like, what the hell is going on here? So let's make a prediction. You think Ruja will be found? You think, well, first of all, do you think she's alive? What's your, let's do the odds. You think the odds are she's alive or she dead? And if she's alive, do you think she'll be found? I don't think she'll be found. I'm 60, 40 on dead or alive. Hmm. Hmm. It's, it's, uh, it's so. There's too much money involved. Money makes people do stupid things and stupid money makes people do really stupid things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The only thing I can think is if like, if you got her early where you could, you could probably get access to everything she had. But if she's around for a while, that leaves me I'm like, well, maybe she had more time to hide and change her identity. I mean, she, yeah, so you got that kind of money. I mean, you could change your whole look and nobody, I mean, you can get fat taken off you at that point. Well, yeah, as- lose 20 pounds <laughs> and change your face, right? I mean, that's a lot of money. Well, oh, like she was fat taken off of you. And, and, then, and then again, like, listen, like, depending on what country you're in, right? You could, you could pay almost anybody. Uh, for safekeeping in a lot of places. So mm-hmm. depends on where she ended up. Yeah. Like Russia, they would love to have her over in Russia. Um, but, um, the, uh, you have to think though, you have to assume almost that because of her propensity for security, like I said, you're using, don't talk on public phones, use secure phones, you know, having spies and everything. You almost think she had to have an exit plan. It's not like she just dropped the phone that day and she said, Oh, I better do something. You almost think that she had to have a mm-hmm. exit strategy already in place. That if this oh, happened, 100%, 100%. The people she was associated with, 100%. That that plan was in place well before. Yeah. The the, the drop the mic moment. She knew where what was happening from there and, yeah. and was gone. There's yeah. no doubt about it. I tell you what, man. That's that's, just, uh... that's what makes it so fascinating. Like you, you don't think like a cartel, right? You think about it. They, that, that's like an organization. So you think it's pretty. This was like a woman and a guy who got all these people around them, but they weren't like an organization. They weren't organized. They were a cult. You know what? It was the cult of one coin, but what they were able to do is turn this into a cult cultish like thing and get oh. people to believe in something and spend your money. If you can get, have an M a, a multi-level marketing scheme where you're selling out Wembley stadium, you're doing something right. Right. I mean, not wow. Many. Really? Yeah. Yeah. If you look it up, I mean, they, they, they had an event at Wembley stadium. <laughs> And see, just that alone lends the air of credibility. It's like, yeah. how else could we do this unless, you know, and sell out Wembley Stadium unless we were legitimate? Yeah. Right, right. And it's funny because, like, she was on, like, there. she would post her face on Forbes and all this stuff. I'm like, fucking Forbes. Wow, that's, like, pretty legit. But then you look at it. It was not Forbes. It was, like, a foreign country's version of Forbes or, like, their edition. And mm-hmm. it was a paid advertisement in the middle, not the cover. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Like, and it was spelled F O R B S. It was a different it was a knockoff back. It was a knockoff for it. <laughs> but uh, it was uh it, it it was it was interesting. It was planned out well. You know, this is uh, I I know nothing about 
uh, virtual coins and all this Bitcoin and all this stuff. And this has been a real education, Rich. It's, um, and, but even talking about the penny stock scams going on out there, holy cow, it's, you just have no idea. Oh, you, you get fast forward to now. Now you got all the elder scams with, with the crypto. Uh, it, that, that's a whole nother you know what? area you could talk to for hours. I mean, we, we just came off a case with a woman in Florida who thought she was dating a guy overseas, but he couldn't talk to her because where he worked was underground. But he would send her checks, $60,000, $70,000 at a time, and tell her to go to Bitcoin ATM and send it to a Bitcoin address. You know, approaching that person and saying, like, what are you doing here? Oh, I'm doing it for my boyfriend. I don't think he's your boyfriend. Oh, yeah, he's my boyfriend. He's my boyfriend. You ever meet him? Well, he can't come over here. He's coming over here. And you're yeah. like, ma'am, he, he, I'm telling you, he's not your boyfriend. Mm-hmm. I, it, it took this woman three times we had to go down there. And I, I, what, the last time we had to rip her out of the car because she wouldn't stop talking to him. Wow. You know, my wife and I, we just we got uh, scammed out of uh, – we just we made a Zelle payment to have fence, fencing put in our yard. Mm-hmm. And the fence company is legit. Um, but the when we were talking, he said, "Listen, you got you know you got you got to pay half up front for for materials and all that." And he said, "You can swing by the check. You swing by the office. You can mail us a check, or we can take a payment via Zelle." And when he said that, somebody got into his email account, and mm-hmm. now yep. there's a uh, they they hacked him. Is what he did, and so we zelled that money away, and it's you know a couple thousand bucks. So that's that's what happened with the example I was just giving you in Florida that money was actually stolen from a cabinet company down there, like a small business. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a lot. Of, it was $900,000 at the end of the day. Yeah, and ours was, and, compared to that, ours is just small. But I called the sheriff's department here, Orange County SO, and they got involved with the investigator, and it's now out in Vegas with the, the fraud investigators out there. Apparently, that's where the people are that, that hacked his email account. And you know what? The owner of the fence company, he was a stand-up guy. We split the loss, so he oh, ate half a, of it. Yeah. We ate half of it. Yeah, but so, that's that's the next new area. Now, now it's well. Look, if there's a way to if, if there's a way to scam people out of money, there's going to be somebody out there to figure it out and do it. And there's always a new twist. And to your point, when you're using crypto or stuff people don't understand, they're buying into the hype, and they don't yep. they don't know how to do their due diligence to understand. Uh, like I said, I just I'm I see these things being posted by people I know talking about, hey, I made this much money. One, like I said, the one guy said, I've made over six hundred thousand investing in crypto. And I'm going, yeah, I'm sorry. How? Well, <laughs> I mean, your timing's got to be very good because it's just so unstable. That's, that's, that's the problem. Yeah. I mean, you, if you're going to like invest in crypto, like try and trade like stocks, you, you better have money to lose because, you know, that's Elon Musk never bet, says never, belt, never bet the milk money. And that's what most people do. They bet the milk yeah. money. I built William Bennett, who was the secretary of education. Remember him? Uh, he's, he's on TV. He was out in Vegas, you know, spending a lot of money, and they tried to make a big deal out of it. Like he said, hey, look, um, I never bet the milk money. Yeah, was I spending a lot of money? Yeah. But yeah, like to your point, like Bernie Madoff stuff, some of these folks, it was just a rounding error for them. Um, right. But yeah, tell you what, Sam Bankman-Fried, let me ask you this. Let's close this out by asking this. I know that there's a str- – we regulate currency. I mean, you've got the Fed. You've got um, other places that regulate currency. You've, you've got the European folks. Do you think we're going to get to the point where crypto is regulated the same way currency is? Do you think there'll be a Fed digital currency? Is that a good idea? What, what's your final thoughts? <sighs> Will there be a Fed? I don't think in the United States. I, I don't. They say they'll do it. I think there's a use for it. Uh, or at least definitely blockchain technology, like keeping track of stuff that way. Unless it's stable, I, I don't see anybody buying into it because if it's if it's going to move around, yeah. nobody's going to take that chance. Like that's like uh, you know, you, if you sell your buy a car today and pay Bitcoin and dealer give the dealer fifty grand tonight, Elon Musk says something stupid and Bitcoin drops five ten thousand dollars. There's all your profit and then some. So. Stable coins, I think, yeah. If it's just a straight up cryptocurrency that's not stable, I, I can't see anybody using that as a currency. It's just too it's too risky. And then there's still security issues, I think, with crypto, uh, which keeps companies like mine in business, right? Uh, there's always hacks, there's always thefts. Oh yeah, you get so, the the North Koreans love to get into crypto exchanges because they have to they have to at some point get hard currency to fund a lot of their stuff, and so they become the experts. Um, right, so least. there's still some. I think there's still some security gaps they have to close, and I, yep. as I, I would think, the crypto world does not want any regulation. But 
I think you have to have some. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a necessary evil, right? I mean, you can't just have people running around making their own rules. And if they don't do it sooner rather than later, then they're going to get what they don't want, which is onerous government regulations that come in and destroy basically the whole market. You know, that's what happened with uh, talking about, you know, the Bernie Madoffs of the world. But that's what happened out here in Loudoun County with uh, uh, Bernie Ebers and MCI WorldCom and the Rigas with Adelphia, all these CEOs who were misstating their financials, their 10Ks. And so you you start off with litigation, then you go to regulation, then you go to legislation. So now we have Sarbanes-Oxley. And those are onerous regulations, but name the last time, you know, you, you've seen this too, Rich. Name the last time you've seen a CEO of a publicly traded company perp walk for misstating their 10Ks. <laughs> been, been, been a long time. People don't, yeah. people know you, you're going to go to jail if you do this stuff. Right. But again, that's a double-edged story for the crypto yep. world because they want decentralization. That's, that's the whole point of it. So you got to find, there's got to be a happy medium somewhere. And I think until they find that, I don't think crypto is just going to be... Well, widely accepted to the to the masses one of the one of the draws about doing crypto and like bitcoin too is like if you do a regular transaction with currency you know out of the u.s it could take five to seven days to clear because it's got to go through international it's got to do all this stuff but bitcoin rep- reconciles itself basically every 15 minutes you do an exchange you do a trade it hits the blockchain register it's an immutable ledger it's written to that you know and then 15 minutes later it reconciles and then it's like you've got money moving around in minutes as opposed to days right mm-hmm. And that's the attraction. But again, during that time, yeah, if if something stupid happens or somebody says something stupid, within that ten minute window, you, you could lose a couple hundred bucks or a thousand bucks. <laughs> so, if the volatility is what makes it. Um, um, that's where the so much risk comes from, and it's the outside influences that can affect the volatility. It's not like. It's going to take a lot to make the dollar go up and down. You can kind of predict those things, but like to your point, uh, if somebody gets arrested. Um, like the, I just, I I'm, I'm concerned anytime you can't see it, touch it, feel it, you know, understand where it moves. Uh, it's very hard to have confidence in it. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, Mr. Rich Reinhardt from Jersey, not North <laughs> Jersey, because you, you can, you can lump those in with all the New Yorkers. You said North Jersey is like New York. Didn't you say that? Yes, it is. In my so, opinion, my humble opinion. Yes. So how far South are you then? I'm probably 40 minutes from Jersey city. So what exit? On a, well, that's on a, that's on a no traffic day. Okay. What exit? One hundred. Okay. See, this right is how you know somebody's from Jersey. You don't have to say anything. I have to say what exit. You know, <laughs> and they know exactly what you're talking about. What exit do you life off of? Do I life off of? That's what I had. One guy from Jersey. Oh. Said, what, <laughs> what exit do you live off of? He said life off of. You know. Exit 32. But you know what he was talking about. He knew what he was talking about. All you have to say, what exit? And if you're That's really it. from Jersey and you know it, it's it's uh, it's it's how it's how I knew you were authentic. That's how I knew you. We weren't getting a, a, a you know a, a fake version of a Rich Reinhardt. <laughs> Rich, it's been an honor having you on here, brother. Thank you very well, much for giving us your time. And well, hey, I appreciate y'all. Hey, look at that. Look at that. What have we accomplished today? Uh, well, let's end it by saying, well, Rich, hey, thanks very much. So I just ask, tell everybody, ask them how you're doing, okay? So say, ask them how you're doing, okay? <laughs> thanks, guys. Sorry for the uh, technical glitches in the beginning. I know. We're having fun. Don't go anywhere. Rich Murph, hold on. Everybody else, stay tuned for the debrief. Well, apparently, I, when I said, how you doing? He did really well. He did, you know, how you doing? He's doing good. Rich, man, this is us saluting you. What a case. Four b- 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 billion dollars. I mean. Unbelievable. That's more money than Pablo Escobar had. Well, no, not really. Not really. But, <laughs> you know. But, hey, but think, of, think about, think about to your point, the marketing and stuff. These people could have made a killing in network marketing. They could have made a killing in, um, you know being an investment, whatever it is, something that would make a lot of money and they wouldn't have Mm -hmm. to look over their shoulder every day. But as you heard from him, there's a good chance maybe she's not with us anymore. You know, the billions uh, may not have saved her. Yeah. Yeah. You're not kidding. And the fact that that she hasn't been seen or heard from since, I mean, you can run and hide, but I'm not sure how long you can do that. $4 billion would probably help quite a bit. 
But still, you've, she has ticked off a lot of people. So, you know. Yeah, but you, and you also, with that much money, you're going to be tempted, in which she did and the other people did. They, they wanted to live a certain lifestyle. You're mm-hmm. not going to go live on some little hut in an island somewhere. Eventually, you're going to do like what happened with Whitey Bulger and his wife. They're, you know, the, he tried to keep their living style mm-hmm. low key, but she had to keep go to the hair salon. She had to do stuff. That, you know, they caught her, you know, that way. So, no, I mean, this was what was fascinating. You know what was fascinating, too? Member working cases, you know, everybody's got this view of the IRS. Like I joked, it's a small nonprofit, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> organization. But if you wanted somebody from IRS on your team, you wanted a guy like Rich Reinhardt because, I mean, the dude, I mean, very deceptive because you'd hear him talking, hey, how you doing? How you doing? You go, okay, you know, this guy's yeah. a financial whiz. Yeah, he's a financial whiz. Yeah. Oh, he's he squared away. Former DEA diversion investigator, too. So, uh, started out Border Patrol, right? And uh, Yeah, what the fuck? I mean, it's I like... <laughs> this is... Uh, but that's what I said at the, in the, when we did our intro, that this was very educational. I had no idea. When we started talking about penny stocks, I can't tell you how many pennies I lost in penny stocks trying to figure out how they work. <laughs> Little did I know, it's a freaking scam. Well, and let me tell you, too, I found it, just last part here. There's a little book I got here. It's called The Index Card. But it's it's really a guy just on a was writing down some financial advice one time, said, I could tell you everything you needed to know on a financial card. Basically, he said, never buy or sell individual stocks. The reason why? These people know the game better than you. Mm-hmm. you know. Absolutely. And this is exactly that's rule number four, never buy or sell individual stocks. And that's why they made mutual funds. Diversity. Yep. Guess what? Rule number five, Murph, buy inexpensive, well-diversified indexed mutual funds and exchange-traded funds. You're absolutely right. And if you want to get the book, it's called The Index Card, Why Personal Finance Doesn't Have to be Complicated, Helene Olin and Harold Pollack. There you go. And But but we got to know, what's rule number one? Don't do math. There you go. I bet he yep. doesn't have that on his little index card. Doesn't either. Yeah, he's a math- mathematician. Yes, yeah, so if you want to get our book, you know, it's uh, Patreon. <laughs> Join Patreon. We'll send you a index card. Ah, uh, just go to DEA Narcos, D, you know, DeanArcos.com if you want to get Murph's book. Just go there. <laughs> oh, yeah. There All right. Go. Well, hey, guys. Well, let's bring this to the close. So, hey, hopefully you guys enjoyed this as much as we did. It was a good time. We learned a lot, too. Um, go on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Hit those five stars. Leave us a comment on Spotify. You can actually do that now. Head on over to GameOfCrimesPodcast.com for more information about the show. Like I say, go check out Boyd's uh, pictures. Mm-hmm. Stuff you won't see anywhere else, Murphy. I mean, you guys got some unique ones. Yep. Um, yeah, and then uh, follow us on social media at Game of Crimes on Twitter, Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram, and also Patreon, Patreon, as you were saying, dot com slash Game of Crimes. That's Patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. That's 1-800-Patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. Just, you know, it's where you need to be. That's where we put more content out on Patreon. Uh, hours per month than we do here. So um, you got to go over and join it and see what it's all about. Everything from um, we do our uh, our Q&A, um, we do uh, You Can't Make the Shit Up, 911, What's Your Emergency, uh, Case of the Month, uh, our Narcometer Review, uh, and our monthly bonus video for the Warden of the Throne people. So yeah, it's good stuff. It's good, good stuff. stuff. And, and listen, I tell you what, be sure if you enjoyed this week's episode, join us next week. A good friend of mine's coming on here. Uh, who is it? Mm, can't tell you. You have to join us next week. Well, because Murph's going to have to figure out if he's actually got any friends, so he's got to pay one to come on. Well, no, this guy, I think it's the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I love you, brother. And how you doing? Okay, how you doing? I'm doing good. So everybody, I hope you're doing well out there. And thank you once again for playing the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all. The, what exit do you life off again? Exit 32, Game of Crimes. <laughs> <laughs>